Let me ask, how many of you all have ever done a detox diet? A detox diet. Yeah, I heard a what? It sounds like, anybody, anyone done a detox diet before? Man, you know, when we did the, the Daniel fast back in January, that was kind of like a detox diet for me. Um, eating nothing but vegetables and fruits and nuts. That's all I ate for 21 days. That was like my body detoxing out of all of the, 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 the sweet tea and all the fried food and all of the, the Chick-fil-A and all of that, getting it out of my body. You know, whenever, if you've ever done any kind of diet and you start depriving yourself of something that you enjoy every day, what happens? Your body begins to ache, doesn't it? Like you're, you, you have these mind games like, oh, I just need this. I just, I just have to eat this. You know, whenever we did the, the Daniel fast, my wife has always been an avid coffee drinker. And of course, on the Daniel fast, you couldn't have coffee. She had a raging headache for three days just getting off of the coffee. Your, your body, what's happening is, is your body is removing those toxins while you're on that diet. Let me ask you this, have you ever done a TV or social media detox? Where you said, I'm not going to watch any TV, I'm not gonna be on any social media for X amount of days. It's amazing how your body and your mind, I should say in, this, in that situation, how it reacts. I deleted Facebook off my phone about six months ago. It's like the greatest thing I've ever done. It was, it was amazing for just my mind. But those first few days after getting rid of Facebook, you, have the, you find yourself and you're like, oh, it's not there. Oh, it's not there. It, it's like, man, I didn't realize how often I took my phone out of my pocket and opened it up and just clicked on Facebook. That detox, it was, it was amazing. Have you ever heard it said, no good deed goes unpunished? So when it comes to following Jesus, there are many areas of your life that when exposed to the light, it's like removing that toxin out of your body. Many times, Jesus exposes mistakes and areas of our lives that need repentance. In other words, a reset of our lives. We'll learn the value today in our last message in this series of reset. We'll learn the value today of confession and repentance. You might say, Pastor, I've heard you speak on this before, and you're right. There's a lot of sermon series that I will hit confession and repentance because this is a cornerstone of the Christian life. It's the cornerstone in your relationship with God. It is a cornerstone in your relationship with your husband, your wife, your kids, your coworkers, your family members. This is something that must be continually practiced. But here's something I want as a warning for you. Whenever you decide to go all in with Jesus, the toxins in your life, they will begin to surface. They will begin to show their ugly face. So here's a principle I want you to remember. Focusing on your spiritual life will begin to expose all of your impurities. 
Focusing on your spiritual life will begin to expose all of your impurities. And in that moment, what I want you to remember is don't give up the battle. Don't give up the fight. Don't give up on the process. Don't give up on others and yourself because we know this to be true. The more you expose light to the darkness, the more the enemy will scatter. The more you expose the light to darkness, the more the enemy will scatter. So we find this incredible victory with the Israelites returning to rebuild. We looked at last week the celebration of them finally, finally getting the temple rebuilt so they could reinstitute the worship of God. They finished the temple, they've resettled the land, but they are not quite finished in this reset process. There is still more work to be done. So we're going to look in Ezra chapter 9 here in just a moment. Before we start reading that, I want to kind of give you a little background on this passage because honestly this passage is a little hard for us to read when we read it in our 2021 American lenses that we have on today and we kind of lose the deeper cultural and spiritual significance. So let me kind of back up and explain to you why God's going to say the things he's going to say here in just a moment. If you remember, the nation of Israel, all throughout the times of the kings, all the way up to the time of captivity, God was constantly telling them, get rid of all of the other gods. Worship me alone. I alone should be worshipped. I am the one true God. The nation of Israel, they would repent for a time. They would turn and worship God alone. But then we would see where a new king or queen would come on the scene, and they would return back to worshiping the false gods. We see this even in a greater way with Solomon. Solomon had many wives, many concubines, and what he would do is he would take a wife, a queen, or a princess from another nation that did not worship God, bring her in as his wife, and during that time, she would bring her gods into Israel as a part of that marriage. So you had dozens, if not hundreds, of false gods in Israel from the time of Solomon all the way until the time the nation of Israel was taken into captivity into Babylon. And God was telling them all through this time, I alone am to be worshipped. I am the one true God. If you do not turn and repent, here's what's going to happen. God kept true to his word. He took them into captivity in Babylon and in Persia for those 70 years. And when they came back, they had learned their lesson. Partially, but God had to teach them one last little lesson. And that's what we're going to see here today. Ezra chapter 9, verse 1. After these things have been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the, the Ammonites, and the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. 
For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the people of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. Now what happened? They moved back into the land. God told them, you are not to marry all of these other people. Why? Not because they're just different cultures, but because they serve a different God. And the nation of Israel has gone through this for hundreds of years where they'd intermarried in with these other races that did not serve their God and it essentially pulled the nation of Israel away from God. He says, it's not going to happen again. Verse 3, And as soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak and torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given in, into the hand of the kings of the, of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of our God to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. We're going to skip down to verse 15. O oh God, the God of Israel, you are just. For we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. We see Ezra here in this first part of this passage. He is mourning. He is mourning the nation of Israel rejecting the commands of, the God, of their God. Mourning the fact that, listen, this is what we struggle with before captivity. And you guys are going to jump right into it again. God said, do not marry with the other races who do not serve me. Now remember, this is something I want us to get to. This is why it's difficult sometimes for us in 2021 to, to understand this. Is God is not saying that people of different cultures different races. This is not something about inter, interracial marriage. This is not what God is saying here. It's specifically about those who choose and choose not to worship him. God is saying, if you are going to be in marriage with someone, it needs to be someone who chooses 
to worship me, the one true God, no one else. You know, there are so many principles we can learn as we think through this idea of, of marriage. You know, as believers, we should only look for someone in marriage who is a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. Those of you that are in middle school and high school sitting in here today, let me say that again. Someone who is a potential marriage partner for you should be someone who is a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. You might say, Pastor Robert, I'm 15. I'm not getting married for 10, 15, 20 years. But something I want to drill into your head now so that when you get to that age, this is an expectation. We talked about that this morning in our youth class. An expectation that you have set for yourself that there will be no one else besides someone who worships God and God alone as a marriage partner for me. So marry someone that has the same life values as you. Because you will argue more about religion, politics, raising your children, how you manage money, more than anything else. These conversations are ones that should be had and come to an agreement prior to the covenant of marriage. So God is telling the nation of Israel here, I took you out to teach you a lesson that I'm your only God. I am the only true God. I sustained you through 70 years in captivity. I moved through pagan kings and put a burden in their heart to send you back to the land to rebuild your temple so you can worship me again. And yet you're falling into the same trap. And Ezra here mourns on behalf of the nation of Israel in the passage that we just read. So change must happen. The changing of the people's hearts must happen. Change always begins in our lives with Jesus. Change can only happen when someone points out a problem of sin in our lives. You may not like what they say. It hurts. Exposing the darkness always hurts. But Jesus is the great problem pointer outer. <laughs> he when we look at his word and we read God's word, it exposes those things in our life. He always does it in complete love. I love what it says, Ezra says in verse 8. He says, but now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God. For a brief moment to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place. He says, God has given us grace. Even though we have rejected him, even though we have, are, are worshiping, we have worshiped other gods, he has given us grace and allowed us to continue in this land. God always gives us a second chance. He exposes the areas in our lives that need change, and he brightens our eyes so that we can see them. We also see change continues with acknowledgement. We can also refer to this as confession. As we confess our sins, it's more than, confession is more than, I got caught. It's more than admitting we're wrong, or admitting that we need to change, or admitting that we have made mistakes. Confession is between you and God, and you and maybe the person you sinned against saying, God, all of my sin, 
is ultimately between me and you. I have failed you. We saw Ezra here in this passage laying out before holy God saying, God, please forgive us. Please forgive me of how I have failed you. He said in verse 9, for we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery. He's referring to slaves us in our sin, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set us up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. We see Ezra here, he's acknowledging their condition. You know, one of the things as a part of change and confession, we have to acknowledge the lack of control that we have in our lives. Understanding that, God, you are in control ultimately of everything that happens. Every poor response that we have to a situation that is thrust upon us in life is an act of rebellion against God. Knowing that God put me in this situation, in this tough spot right now, and my anger and my bitterness towards life is ultimately saying, God, I'm angry and bitter towards you because I hate where I am right now. It's acknowledging that God is in control of our lives. We need to acknowledge that God is the one who can ultimately change us. He's the one that can change our hearts. And that starts with, we said, confession and change solidifies with repentance. When you realize something is wrong, we confess and repent immediately. Repentance is turning. Repentance is a 180 degree turn from where we are right now to where God wants us to be. Repentance is a pursuit in a different direction. Repentance is more than, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That is not repentance. What is the difference between a confession culture and a repentance culture? Many people like to admit they are wrong, but they have no intention of changing. Yeah, I know, I know. That's, that's just the way I am. I know it's not right, but that's just the way I am. That's a confession culture. It's more or less to appease my conscience with saying what I did was wrong so I can just continue living that way, the way that I've always lived. Repentance is actually doing something different. Let me give you this example. How many of you guys struggle to get somewhere on time? A few of you. You show up, you're late, and you're like, ah, I'm so late, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm 10 minutes late. And it happens time and time again. And you might even be the person who says, oh, I'm just around the corner in that text when you're actually 15 minutes down the road. Yeah. Oh, I got some laughs there. I, I, I seem to uh, have some guilty parties out there. You continue, and you show up. Maybe it's to your boss, or maybe it's to your child's sporting event, or maybe it's on your way home from work, whatever it might be. And you apologize. You say you're sorry. But it happens the next time and the next time. You're quick to confess but repentance is a change in that behavior. Repentance is saying truthfully, 
oh, I'm not just around the corner, but I'm actually 15 minutes down the road. Repentance is actually leaving early to make sure that you're on time. You guys see now the difference between confession and repentance? And we can take this in multiple areas of our life. I think this is just an easy one because we, we understand. Let's keep looking here what happens next with Ezra. Ezra chapter 10. Well, Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. A great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly. And Shekinah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Elam, addressed Ezra. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of, of this. It was a big deal. And Ezra acknowledged it. His body language even changed. Before God, he humbled himself before God. You know, what happens is we can confess our sin. We can repent of our sin and change our direction of the way that we're living our life. But that does not mean that we do not deal with the consequences of that sin. You know, so many times when we look back at the struggles and the heartaches in our life, a lot of times we're dealing with the consequences of the sin prior to our repentance, prior to the turning away of what our life was before. We see here the consequences. You know, Jesus has promised us eternal forgiveness. The consequences of our sin here today is that before holy God, there must be a justification for our sin. The consequences of our sin is that we deserve death and hell because of our sin. But Jesus stepped in. You know, it says in Ezra chapter 10, verse 4, it says, Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. He's telling the nation of Israel, you know what is right. Get up and do it. Do it. This morning, I want you to encourage you this morning to confess and repent. To change the direction of your life. Take action. Acknowledge your sins. Make a change. Confess and return. Change begins with Jesus. It continues with confession, and it's solidified through repentance. I'm going to say that again. Change begins with Jesus. It continues with confession, and it's solidified with repentance. Remember I said the consequences of our sin is death. The consequences of our sin are death and hell, but Jesus came says in 1 John 1 8 9 if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we have a great justifier his name is Jesus who came to this earth 
and died upon a cross for our sins. Jesus will forgive. Jesus will cleanse. Jesus will take care of the impurity. All we need to do is look to the cross of Jesus Christ for salvation. You know, as parents, it is our responsibility to teach our kids this principle of confession and repentance. You know, whenever our kids come to us, whenever they have, you know, had a poor, you know, or what Rachel will call a poopy attitude, um, as they would come to us and they would ask for our forgiveness, they would come and say, Mommy, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? And Rachel would say, thank you for coming to me. Or I would say, thank you for coming to me. And the response would be, tell me what you're asking forgiveness for. And then we talk through, okay, how are you going to respond in this situation in the future? Because this response was a sinful response. We need to get up and lead the way for our families in this idea of confession and repentance. Think about Jesus on the cross. His father turned his face from him. He was abandoned for us. He was cursed for us. In all reality, God turned his face from Jesus because Jesus took upon our sin so Jesus, so God could look upon us. Because when God sees us, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when God sees us, he no longer sees our sin because our sin was taken by Jesus. We talk about this as being the great exchange. Jesus took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. Man, what a great exchange. What a great exchange. So now, because of that, we are able to have a right relationship with God. Repent and confess. When's the last time this happened in your home? Between you and your spouse, between you and your kids, between you and your siblings. This is something that must take place daily and definitely weekly as we live life together. So what are some areas that need to be exposed in your life in order to fully follow Jesus? What are some areas of darkness that need the light to expose the darkness? What is an area of your life that you need to confess and repent this week? On Tuesday, our Bethel community groups are starting. We had our family fun night this past Tuesday, and we are starting this coming Tuesday with our, our, Bethel, family fun, our, our Bethel community groups. So we have 7 o'clock. We have our in-person groups happening at the Dyche House. And at 8.30, if you can't make an in-person or you feel most comfortable on Zoom, at 8.30 we'll have our Zoom call happening as well. We'll have the same study at both sessions, so don't feel like you're missing out on one or the other. Um, but living life in community 
and looking for more into what it means to become a follower of Jesus and living this life of repentance and confession before a holy God. Let's pray. Thank you.